Matthew chapter 20, starting in verse number 1. This is Jesus speaking. He says, For the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers for a denarius, that's a, uh, it's a, just, an, it's just an amount, it's a day's wage, a day he sent them into his vineyard. And going, about, going out about the third hour, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace, and he told and to them, he said, you go into the vineyard too, and whatever is right, I will give to you. So they went. Going out again about the sixth hour and the ninth hour, he did the same. And about the eleventh hour, he went out and found others standing. And he said to them, why do you stand here idle all day? They said to him, because no one has hired us. He said to them, you go into the vineyard too. And when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last up to the first. And when those hired about the 11th hour came, each of them received a denarius. Now, when those hired first came, they thought they would receive more, but each of them also received the denarius. And on receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house saying, these last worked only one hour and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the day in the scorching heat. But he replied to one of them, friend, I am doing you no wrong. Do you not agree with me? Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to this last worker as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my, generos- my generosity? So the last will be first and the first last. All right, so we're going to look at, just real quick, a quick summary of the, the passage we just read. So there are five different groups, and really the first and the last are the ones that matter. The middle is just to fill in the story. And early morning was 6 a.m. That's when work started. I'm glad I don't live in that time period. 6 a.m. is an ugly time for me. But they started work at 6 a.m., and so that means the third hour is nine, sixth hour, noon, you can read it. Um, but the big one is the 11th hour. The 11th hour was 5 p.m. because they stopped work at 6. So it was a 6 to 6 work day. And the 11th hour hires were hired at the last minute. Now, truth be told, there was probably some, some space between the marketplace where they were hired and the field where they were working. And they had to get tools, they had to get supplies, and then they had to clean up. So truth be told, when I was looking at this, they probably only worked maybe half an hour. They only worked half an hour. And then the, the, the vineyard master calls the foreman and says, gather them together, we're going to pay them all at the same time, which is a normal tradition, that's how they did it. But almost always, the 6 a.m. group got paid first. And the master says to the foreman, no, we're going to do it backwards today. I'm sure the foreman was thinking, I am going to be the most hated man in the area today. Now, I don't know if he knew at this point, but he goes to the 11th hour worker and hands them a full denarius. A full day's wage for 30 minutes of work. Now, I am going to be honest, I'm probably not any different than the 6 a.m. worker. I'm standing over here at this end, the 11th hour As I told the students, the 11th hour losers are down there and they get a full day's wage. Yes. Okay, so that times three times three times three. I'm getting rich today. Today, I'm getting paid today. If those guys got a full day's wage for half an hour, I work 12 hours. I can't do that kind of math, but I'm making some money today. And then they got a denarius. Wait, wait a minute. 
Well, that's okay. Maybe just the first two, and then, then he's going to figure it out. And then the next group just gets a denarius. And I begin to get concerned because he's absolutely, absolutely right. That group didn't carry the burden. They didn't work through the heat of the day. They got there at the end, barely, like, they made one grape. I got a grape, let me put it in the basket, day's wage, awesome. Like, no, they didn't do anything, and you're going to give them the same amount. That's not fair. Oh, parents, you've heard that before? That's not fair. Now, fair in most people's eyes is just sameness. We don't, we don't really talk about fairness. We talk about sameness. I want what is the same. I want it to be fair. But we also really only want it to be fair for us. You don't hear kids ever say, well, that's not fair if it's not fair for their sibling. Now, maybe there's some saints that we have in our audience that when you were a kid, you would call out when it was not fair for your sibling. I'm not quite raising any of those yet. Mine always say it's not fair for themselves. And I got to be honest, we're the same way as adults. If it's not fair, it's only just not fair for me. I'm probably not going to make a big fuss and fit if it's just not fair for you. It's just a bummer to be you. Should have got there early. Should have worked through the day. You should have done what you were supposed to do. And I love, I love this. I love this. So the, Jesus is telling the story. It's his story. And, and the, uh, the vineyard master he starts his rebuttal, friend, friend, calm down. Now, I've never quite experienced it because I'm a rather emotional person, but I've heard it's great to be on, in an argument where you know you're right and you're calm. Again, personally, I don't do that. I'm the emotional one, and I'm usually not right. So I'm on the other end of that spectrum, but I've heard it's a blast, and people have done it to me, Friend, Brian, breathe, calm down, it's okay. And he says, I love it, he just, he just, he's so calm, he's so collected. What are you upset about? And then I love it, can't I do what I want with what is mine? Yeah, I guess. But I worked all day, I've been here all day. It's, I, I have, ooh, earned more. I deserve more. It's not fair. It's not fair. Because it seems to me that the farther we get from our higher time, the farther we get from the time that we were hired or for the rest of today, the farther we get from the moment of salvation the easier it is for us to begin to think that we have earned more. Met Jesus in 2001, so it's been a day or two now, and I find myself doing this all the time. I find myself frustrated with God because he is not giving me what I have clearly earned. I've been doing this a long time. I'm, I, I do the church thing, I do the worship thing, I do the Bible reading thing, I do the prayer thing, I do all the things. And I've carried the burden in the heat of the day. Where is my extra money? I've earned it. I deserve it. Because what happens is there's the, the, the world and the enemy has such a great job. They do such a great job of putting stuff between us 
and Jesus. Mr. Culpepper with the students at the Christian school always talks about the noise that they experience in the day. That we experience in a day, there's constant noise, there's constant information, there's constant worry and fear and stress, and all these are placed in between, and it's always placed between us and God. And the longer we do this Christian thing, it's easier to forget that we're all just the 11th hour guys who are like, this is what I get? This is, this, this is what you're paying me. This is outrageous. <laughs> I no, I like I literally I just like I I just tied my thing. I just, I like one grape. I put one grape in the basket. A, a whole day's wage? Because if we're honest, the first the first is always the best. For me, I I I distinctly remember the first time that I experienced God's love. It's right here. I remember that vividly. But every day since then, his love gets stale. It's like the first time that you have a perfectly cooked steak. It's amazing. The second time, it's still amazing, but not quite as good as the first time. And then it just, it has diminishing return. And unfortunately, we've put that on God's love. But the first of anything is better. And it always diminishes. I'll tell a story later about, about going to a special Royals game. But I, when I thought about things that were first, for me, one of the things I always remember about the first time it was just so amazing was when you go to, to Kauffman Stadium, to Royal Stadium, and you walk in and you're, you're outside in the concourse where you can buy the food and go to the bathroom. And you walk through that little space and all of a sudden you step out and there's the field. It's like, I know it's silly, but it's awe-inspiring. And it's like, I remember being a little kid and thinking, there's nothing cooler than this. And now I go with my kids and they're like, they're like Dad, look, it's amazing. Yeah, let's find our seat. Be quiet. We got to find our seat right now. Like, what happened? The return has diminished. I deserve bigger. I've, I didn't know it then, but we paid good money to see this, I should get to go down there and touch it. Like, just seeing it's not enough anymore. We do this with everything. We do this with everything. Remember, parents, remember the first time that you saw your kid? You know, before they could talk and had sass? You know what I'm talking about? Before they learned how to back talk and say no? They're just there. It's a different kind of love. That doesn't mean we love them less, but there's just things that get in between our expression of that love. And we're not unique. We're not unique in this at all. This occurred all through Scripture. I summarized the Old Testament for uh, my Bible class at the Christian school. Ready? It's, it's real simple. The Israelites, God's people, doing great. Yay! Not so good. Punishment consequences. We're going to be better. They do better. And we do worse. Consequence punishment. Over and over and over and over and over again. That's the Old Testament. <laughs> then we get Jesus. Like, that's, that's what happens. And we are the same way. And you see this in Scripture. Let's, let's, actually, let's turn there. So we're going to turn to Matthew chapter 4. We're going to stick in Matthew, but we're going to go back a little bit to Matthew chapter 4. Because we need to see this. Matthew chapter 4. 
are in verse 18. Here it is. Sorry, I couldn't find it in mine. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he being Jesus, saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they are fishermen. And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets, and he called them. Immediately they left their boat and their father and followed him. Four guys, follow me, and they did. Follow me, and they did. Immediate. No questions, no discussion. We don't even see a goodbye to Zebedee. And I, I got to be honest, every time I read that story, I feel a little bad for Zebedee. He's mending his nets. Here comes this random rabbi. Hey, you two, I'm going we're, we're gonna, to gonna go do some cool things. You should come. And they leave Zebedee and like, we're just mending nets here. And now he's all by himself. Now, we have to understand in their culture, Zebedee would have been super thrilled because his sons weren't following a rabbi. They were working. And the goal of every young Jewish boy was to follow a rabbi. And so here's this rabbi named Jesus who they don't have to work for. They don't have to earn the ability to follow him. He invites them. And for three years, they follow him around. They ask him questions. They see him do amazing things. They see him do things that if they, if they happened here in front of us, we'd fall out of our chairs. They saw the very... They saw the physical, tangible, in the flesh, God, every day, all day, for three, three and a half years. And yet even these guys drifted. Turn to Matthew 19. This is after the story of the rich young ruler. A rich young ruler comes to Jesus and says, hey, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? And he says, obey all the commandments. And then he lies to him and says, oh, I've done that since I was a kid. He did not. And Jesus says, well, there's one more thing then. Go and sell all you have and give to the poor. And, and the, the rich young ruler walked away because he was really sad because he couldn't do that. And so the disciples are starting to freak out. Like, wait, 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 wait. What do we actually have to do? What do we actually have to do? And in verse 27 of chapter 19, We see Peter's drift. Here, let's go back to, to 25, verse 25. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished, saying, Who then can be saved? But Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. Verse 27, Peter said in reply, See, we have left everything and followed you. What then will we have? Jesus following you is not enough anymore. That was cool, but I'm going to need more. Just following you and seeing you do miracles and saying you're the son of God and, and, and doing that whole thing. We, le we left everything behind. I've earned more than just following you. Peter's saying, I deserve more. Give me more. What am I going to get? Because following you, oh, Jesus, thank you. That was cool. That was, we've been filling some stadiums and we've been seeing some things, but I'm going to need more. I'm going to need more. This isn't enough. It's not good enough. 
Three years. Three years from Peter saying, I'll leave this boat and my life and my family and follow you. No questions asked. And in three years, now he's asking, uh, that's, I was hired this morning. I was hired at 6 a.m. I've carried the burden through the heat of the day. What else do I get? And then in Matthew 20, you hear, you read one of my favorite stories ever. Oh, it's just great. Matthew 20, in verse, starting in verse 20. James and John, who are the sons of Zebedee, their mommy comes. Mommy, Mama Bear. She comes to make sure her babies are taken care of. It says, Then the mother of the sons of Zebedee came to him with her sons, and kneeling before him, she asked him something. And he said to her, What do you want? She said to him, Say to these two sons of mine, are to say that these two sons of mine are to sit, one at the right hand and one at the left hand in your kingdom. There have been conversations between Mama and her sons, and the sons were concerned that just following Jesus wasn't going to get them enough reward. They were concerned. And so they may have been a little afraid of Jesus because, you know, they'd seen him cast out demons and such. But Mama Bear, she'll go talk to him. Okay? We know, we, we know mamas. Mamas will go talk to the teacher. Mamas will solve it. Don't worry. So Mama comes to God himself and tells him what he should do. Because it wasn't enough. It wasn't enough that these guys were... were we can't... They were able to touch God himself. They held his hand during prayer. They ate meals with him. They were right there with him the entire time for three years. And yet they drifted. How much more for us who cannot physically see or touch God himself, how much more are we prone to drift away from the idea that following God is good enough. That salvation is enough. But it's interesting, you also see a church do this too. You see a church in scripture drift from its original calling, original purpose. We're going to look at Acts 19. We're not going to read the whole thing. That'd be boring. Um, it's great to read, but not like publicly in a public setting. Um, so Acts 19, I'll tell you a few of the stories, and it's the first time that you get introduced to the church of Ephesus. And so Paul is there, and Paul meets a few people who are praying, and, and, and he, he talks to them, and he speaks with them, and, and then he's, he's in the, in the, the courtyard, in the, in the places, and he's, he's doing amazing things. Like, he is healing so many people that they start, like, stealing things off of him. Like they'd steal his, his handkerchief and they'd go and like they'd put it on someone and that person would be healed. It also says that he was wearing an apron. I don't know if like he was cooking food or like keeping his, his robe clean. I don't know. But like they took his apron and that was healing people. And these amazing things were happening. One of my favorite stories, and this shows my maturity level, one of my favorite stories ever is found in Acts 19. So these guys, um, this guy had seven sons and they saw Paul cast out demons. Like this is cool. So they go and find a demon-possessed guy. And like, hey, come out of him. And the demon turns, takes the guy who they've possessed, turns to this guy and goes, this Jesus I know. Paul I've heard of. Which, can we pause there for a second? How cool is that? 
Like, I want that. Like, I want demons to be like, yes, Jesus I know, Brian, I've heard of him. Let's, we're going to steer clear of that. That's a no-go zone. You, you I don't know. Hmm. And then the story gets really fun. Because you can argue all the time whether anyone wins or loses in a fight. Like, I think everyone loses in a fight except for this story. If during a fight, you, leave, you, you started the fight with clothes on and leave the fight with no clothes on because they were beaten off of you, you have lost that fight. Okay? Across the board, I think we can agree on that. Well, I got like one good shot in. Yeah, bro, but you're not, you're a sans clothes, no clothes, disclothed in the, in, the, in the fight. You've lost. So the demon like takes the guy and like beats these seven sons. It's, it's, it's great. It's a great story. And then, but then something happens that after people see that and they see the power that God has through Paul, they start confessing their sins. It's this really cool statement. It says that they confess not only their sins, but their practices. So it wasn't enough for them to just say, oh, this is where I struggle. But they were willing to say, this is where I struggle. This is how I do it. This is when I do it. Please help me. And then they took those who, the people who had been practicing magic, they took their books and they burned them. And it was a great amount of, of dollar value that was burned. And I grew up in a time, I didn't go to church for most of my life, but once I got to high school, we were still in the, um, did you guys ever have like CD burning parties when you were in youth group? CD or cassettes, the music that you were not, the devil's music, the devil's music that you were not supposed to be listening to. And so you'd have a bonfire and you'd, you'd bring all your secular CDs or cassette tapes, whichever generation you're from, and you'd throw them in the fire. And inevitably it'd pop and hiss. You'd be like, ah, there's a demon. No, it's just the way plastic burns. It's okay. Um, but they were doing that. They were taking all of their secular stuff and like, no, we are refusing to go back to who we were. And this, the, the, the culture shifted so much that there was a riot in Ephesus because of the church. Because the people who were selling stuff to worship idols couldn't sell their stuff anymore. And they rioted. Because the socioeconomic environment had changed so much that they were going out of business because the church was growing so rapidly. And everyone was saying, man, you should see what the church is doing. You should see what the church is doing. That's how, that's how the church of Ephesus started. And if you turn to the book of Ephesians, the letter that Paul writes to the church of Ephesus... There it is. Ephesians 1, 15. It's up on the screen. This is still where he writes to the church. He says, For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love towards all the saints. Man, wouldn't that be like, if someone's going to write a letter about Harrisville Community Church, that'd be a great opening line. I've heard. I've heard. You're still doing amazing things. You're still doing amazing things. You're still doing amazing things. Let's turn to the book of Revelation, chapter 2. Now, just verse 4 is up there, but I'll read the, the whole context to you. Revelation chapter 2, I'll start in verse 1 so we can get the context and understanding of what happened. 
John is seeing this and it says, To the angel of the church of, in Ephesus write, The words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven gold lampstands, I know your works, speaking to the church, your toil and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not and found them to be false. Now, the only way you find out if an apostle is false is listen to them teach. And you know the word so well, you know truth so well that you call out their lies. That's not truth. That's not scripture. So this church knew the truth of God. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. Still great things. Church of Ephesus is still rocking, still doing great. Except, but I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. They drifted. They were doing a lot of peripheral things right. They were doing a lot of things that people could see doing them very well, but the heart of what they were doing was no longer right. They'd lost their first love. Following Jesus' salvation was not enough. The church drifted. Every church drifts from its original purpose. Every believer that I've ever met has a season where they drift away from that first love, that first moment where they first understood God's grace, where they first understood God's love, where maybe they first had a a time in worship where they experienced the manifest presence of God. There's all these firsts that we have that when we lose them, not when we lose them, when we step farther away from that moment, we forget that that's what it's supposed to be like. Because I, I truly believe that when we, the farther away we get from that first love, that first moment of understanding who God is, especially with a church, we become critics instead of fans. That all of a sudden we begin to be critical of what God is doing, both in ourselves and in our church and in our community, we become critical. We come into church as critics instead of just fans of what God is doing in our midst. Because I, I am I'm 100%, 100% convinced that if we all went back to that first love, if we said today we're going to push everything aside and we're going to go back to that moment, to that, ex, that expression of our faith when we first loved God. I can't sing with a lick, but I could be leading worship. We could have an out-of-tune banjo and a kazoo playing songs that we don't like. And we'd be weeping in worship with our hands raised high. Because it no longer matters what it sounds like. It no longer matters the production. It no longer matters about anything because it's just enough to be saved. It's just enough to be accepted by God because we all know we're just the 11th hour people. We're just the 11th hour people who are just happy to be here. But we don't because I've carried the burden through the weight of the day. I began to think, I began to think, you see this when you, when you begin to read stories and, and who it is that you relate to in those stories. This is our barometer. This is our, this is our, our filter. Who do you relate to in these stories? Do you relate in the story of the Good Samaritan? 
Do you think that in the story, I, yes, I'm the good Samaritan. I'm the one who's going around and picking up these people who've been half dead, and I'm the one saving them. Or do you recognize that more than likely I'm probably the guy half dead on the side of the road? Truthfully, that's probably who I am. I'm the broken guy who got himself into a place where he got beat up and robbed. Peter twice. Peter one time says, you are the Christ. You're the son of the living God. Do we relate to that Peter more? Or do we relate to the Peter who denies Jesus three times? When things got hard, when things got tough, when it turned on him, when when the pressure and the fire could have been placed on Peter, Peter said, I don't even know that guy. He cursed at a young girl so much to say, I don't even know that guy. Never met him in my life. Here's the one I hear all the time. This one I've, I've heard quite a bit. Who do you relate to, the prodigal son or the son who stayed home? Because when we, when we drift, the farther we drift, all of a sudden we start saying, you know, that, that son who stayed home, he makes some pretty good points. He, he makes some good points. That other brother, he was an idiot. He was the one. He squandered. That's what the Bible says. Read it. He squandered. And daddy just accepts him right back home. I've been here the whole time. Where's my extra? Where's my more? Because being with the father all of a sudden is not good enough. Are we the 6 a.m. hires? Are we the 11th hour people? So how do we get back if we've drifted? If we say, if we know, oh. Because to me, I've got to be honest. I've drifted. I've drifted from that first love that, uh, to quote Paul, Paul says, do not grow slothful in zeal. Oh, talk about a kick in the gut sometimes. It's so easy to become slothful or lazy in our passion and our zeal for God. How many times in my life am I frustrated at God when I should just be happy to be in? just have to be, number one, number one, we just have to be happy to be here. Not a single person in this room deserves the salvation that they were given. We're all the 11th hour guys. We're the prodigals. We're the man half dead. We shouldn't be here. When I was in, uh, let me see, let me do the math. I was eight, so that'd be third grade, second, third grade, somewhere around there. My mom worked with a lady whose son was a pitcher in the Kansas City Royals minor league farm system, and he was getting called up to the majors. And so she got us tickets, and we went and saw this game, and it was in 1992. And um, the, I, remember, I remember two things about this game. One, the pitcher, who was her son, hit two batters in a row and got ejected. I thought that was the coolest thing ever. Like, I now know a guy, not only who played in the majors, but got thrown out of a game in the majors. That's just amazing. And two, we went and met, um, his name was Steve Shiflett. We went and met him at the player's locker room, outside the player's locker room. And I remember, I remember him inviting my family, another family who was there with us, and his family to walk out the player's exit of Kauffman Stadium. And if you know the Royals, this was Kevin Apier, Jeff Montgomery, 
Brian McRae, and the one and only George Brett. I'm eight years old, walking out the player's exit with a Hall of Fame baseball player, not six, eight feet from me. And they're handing, like, all the people, they're like, there's the fence, and they're, like, trying to get their program signed and their hat signed. And if you know me, I'm like, yeah, I'll sign. Don't, don't worry. Yeah, you, I got you. I got you. Like, it was one of those times I distinctly remember, I should not be here. I have not earned this. I am a below average second baseman on my youth baseball team. I am not qualified, nor have I earned the right to be here. But it was so much fun. It was so much fun to be invited into a place that you shouldn't have never belonged. Welcome to church. To be invited into a place like, and I just think of it like the vineyard, the vineyard owner, he comes to these guys in the 11th hour and he's like, what are you doing? Me? Yeah, what are you doing out here all day? Nothing. Well, what are you, what are you gonna do? I didn't, I didn't really have a plan. I was waiting for someone to hire me. No one's hired you. Yeah, I know it, I'm just here. Well, go into my vineyard. Okay. It's five o'clock, like the sun is going down and you're invited in. Well, to me, what, what, do, I, what do I do? Oh, we'll figure it out. Again, welcome to church. Like, <laughs> welcome to Christianity. Get in, you'll figure it out. Other people will help you. And they get in and it's like, what do, what do we do for half an hour? Like, and of course to me, if I'm, and this is me, I'm not talking to any of you, this is me. If I'm the early morning people, I am so angry right now. You're, you're just now getting here? Yeah, I know, right? It's crazy. I didn't, did, did, you know, did you know the master? Like, is that how you, no, I didn't know him at all. I was literally, I was like standing over there doing nothing with my life. I'm talking nothing. And he's like, hey, you want to earn some money? I do. I do. Well, go in. And so I'm here. I'm here. Look at me. I'm here. And then payment comes. And I'm paid first. And I'm thinking if I'm the 11th hour guy, I'm getting like a penny and I'm going to be super thrilled because really didn't do anything. A, a whole day's wage? I literally did nothing for you. I've done nothing for you and yet you give me what I do not deserve. Oh, people of God, we just have to be happy to be here. We just gotta be, we gotta stop looking for God to add more when he's given us more than we could have ever earned or deserved in a thousand lifetimes. We are the 11th hour people who are just like, why are you here? I don't even know. <laughs> it's, I don't know. He picked me. I don't know. But he's going to pay you. I think so. I, <laughs> I think he's going to give me a whole day's wage. I don't believe it. It's, it's insane. I'm sorry you're upset. It's amazing. Like, I'm sorry. And what happens is, uh, I'm sorry when we've been in church and in Christianity for a while, all of a sudden those 11th hour people who walk in like, wow. This place is amazing. They play the first song and they're like screaming with their arms. You're like, calm down. Have some decorum, okay? There's a time and a place for that. That's at the conferences, not at Sunday morning church, okay? We don't get that excited here, okay? 
But when you're an 11th hour person who's like, I'm here. Out of all the other jokers, God picked me and put me here and said, you know what? All that stupid stuff you've ever done in your life, gone. Woo! Hands up, I'm good. Wait, wait, wait. So all the other stupid stuff I'm gonna do that you already know I'm gonna do, I'm gonna be forgiven for that too. So what do I have to do to earn this? You can't. All you have to do is maintain your first love. That's the second step. Return to your first love. Return to your first love. Break down all the stuff that you've put between you and that moment of your salvation. That moment when God broke through every wall that you put up to say, I'm not good enough. I don't deserve you. You can't love me. And he said, you want to watch me love you? I'll love you until you let me. Knock it all down. Humbly come before your God and say, God, I want to love you more. I want to love you more because when we recognize and get back to that first love, then all the other stuff comes easier. All the stuff we talked about last week of going to the Gomers and finding those that are lost all becomes substantially easier when we're sitting in the place of our first love.